When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Riley will take it off the board. Spain stays with it. Pouliot to McDavid. Rich shot score! 4-2 Edmonton. Connor McDavid. That is the voice of Jack Michaels, the play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Oilers here on 630 Ched and the Oilers Radio Network. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in tonight. It is 7.07. Now, Jack Michaels, who I'm going to bring in here in about uh, 24 seconds, uh, is now in a Hall of Fame. And when I first uh, heard this news, I was like, oh, Jack must have maybe visited the Hockey Hall of Fame during the All-Star break or, you know, gone to the Basketball Hall of Fame or gone to Cooperstown. But no, 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 he was not there as a customer. Jack Michaels is a member of a Hall of Fame, and he's going to discuss that tale with us tonight as we uh, as we bring in Jack. Jack, old buddy, how's it going? I'm doing well, Reed. And why do you have to always go with the adjective old when you introduce <laughs> I I don't know, actually. I just like it sounds warm. Yeah, I, I could see you like uh, you would have been a good your you know what I think your time frame was. Did you ever see that uh, the Woody Allen movie uh, Midnight in Paris? Yes, I, I have. Your I think your appropriate uh, time frame to live would have been somewhere between 1866 <laughs> and 1931. I think that I think you would have been a great guy to be in your. 20s and 30s in like about 1888. You're, you're, you have a bit of a Scotland Yard uh, type feel to you. Well, I think, I mean, and if I would have done this type of job, I would have been one of the first probably baseball reporters, you know, for the old American Association and maybe the Federal League. I can see you with a monocle. <laughs> and a pipe. I want to, I want to have a pipe. Yeah, definitely a monocle, top hat. I, I'll go ahead and give you a pipe. <laughs> That's great. Riding the train everywhere. Maybe buying one of these new fancy automobiles from Henry Ford. With like four different waistcoats. I can definitely <laughs> see that. Well, I take that as a compliment, believe it or not. <laughs> But so, that, uh, that's perfect. That's that's one of Woody Allen's best, by the way, Midnight in Paris. I really like that one. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. He's been... He's been doing some. I did not like. Uh, he had a nut one recently that I didn't care for, but uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona was good. I I enjoyed Matchpoint a lot. Oh, Matchpoint is that. brilliant. And yeah, you know, I love Matchpoint. And you know so. what? I mean, I I've talked to people who have seen Matchpoint, and then I've been like, yeah, that's kind of a departure for Woody Allen. And they've been like, what are you talking about? That's not a Woody Allen movie. I'm like, no, it is. Like he he kind of went out of his comfort zone a little bit. Like, that is a dark, sinister movie. And the, the one I did not care for, because it, 
it was basically, all right, I'm over in Europe. It's the same, you know, year I made Midnight in Paris, so I might as well make one in Italy. And I can't, what is that, from Rome with love? I haven't seen we, it. That, yeah, see, if you watch for, and he made it the same summer uh, he went to Paris. And it was almost like, all right, well, I'm over here, so I might as well crank out another one. <laughs> Right, and it, I mean it's 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 a it's a weird, it, it's very similar. It's almost like all right, I'm going to make two of the same movie, set one in Italy, set one in Paris, and hope the scenes of Rome kind of carries me through. It's uh, it, it was a bit a bit of a disappointment, but he has made he has made a bunch of good ones in the last ten years. Yeah, Bullets Over Broadway, maybe still my favorite Woody Allen movie. That's back from uh, mid nineties. Have you ever seen, and here's another one that a lot of people don't like, that I loved, uh, was Radio Days, which was 1986 or 87. If you haven't seen that one, Reed, uh, you got to pull that up. That, that's, that's a movie that I'd be curious to see. And it's, it's all about our business and the early days of our business, and it's, it's a lot of fun if you haven't seen it. All right. Well, there's some Woody Allen rec- recommendations. Uh, you can text yours to 630-630. Jack Michaels joining us on uh, Inside Sports. Jack, uh, before we touch on some of the Oilers news of the day, and if people have missed it, Nikita Nikitin has been called up. Greiber has been put on injured reserve. First of all, congratulations. Uh, you know, I made the jokes about the Hall of Fame stuff, but, the, but that is really a great honor for you. Uh, you are in the Alaska Aces Hall of Fame. Just tell me a little bit about the experience, the the ceremony, how how you how you felt. Because as broadcasters, I don't think we ever expect that something like that would happen to us. Well, I mean, I I, I had the luxury of a of really the best minor league gig I, I think you could imagine, and I I'd include all the situations in the Western League and the Ontario League and the Quebec League, and then all the minor pro leagues. I mean, I. I'm not sure there's someone who can say he survived the ECHL, AHL, or any of the any of the junior leagues in Canada uh, that had a better situation than I did in Anchorage. I, I really did have for minor league gig. It truly was the next best thing to being in the majors, and and uh, you know it, the people too. It, it it it's a community that's a lot like Edmonton, to be honest with you. It's a bit remote. Uh, oil drives the day economically. Uh, and and people there, like people from Alberta, uh, they're very proud to be from Alaska, and they don't want to hear about, you know, people whining about the cold or any of that junk. Uh, it's very similar to here. I mean, it's, it's remarkably uh, similar feel, even though they're, you know, 3,500 miles and a, and a country and a culture apart. But uh, so I, you know, I really enjoyed my time up there. Both my kids were born there, and uh, after the Toronto game, which was, as you'll recall, last Thursday, uh, I took a, you know, the Toronto game finished up, probably went to bed at, at midnight, up at 4, caught a 6 a.m. flight, uh, went to the game that night. There was a little, you know, on-ice ceremony inviting, you know, inducting a few other, uh, you know, former players. And then I was on a plane, the red eye, at 1.30 in the morning Alaska time, back here at 12.30 p.m., and then, uh, you know, obviously right to the rink to call the 8 o'clock Jets game on Saturday. So it was a little hectic. I mean, there wasn't much for reminiscing. I basically saw three or four of my good buddies throughout the day, went to the game, and then uh, hit the airplane. So it was, it was uh, kind of a whirlwind situation, but one of those things where if they were nice enough of, you know, if they were nice enough to think of me for that kind of honor, then I should be willing to, you know, get on a plane and make it work if I can. So. 
That's I awesome. had Bobby backing me up, and uh, much to his chagrin, my planes were on time. So. <laughs> I, I got to ask you uh, about one of the other, because you were inducted, uh, other, uh, other players were inducted, and a super fan named Ron Tomlinson was inducted. Yes, and I understand yes, he's the guy, <laughs> the, the tradition in Alaska, he is a huge Red Wings fan. He was born in Detroit. And he moved up to Alaska like so many people do. Read it. It's one of those places, especially in the 70s when they were building the pipeline. And Ron was one of those guys. Uh, a lot of people went up to Alaska in the 70s and 80s because, as you know, you know, just from general historical knowledge, the states were really hit hard, especially the big cities in the, in the mid from the mid 70s to the mid 80s. Times were tough in the I mean, inflation went through the roof, and, and you know, a lot of jobs were fleeing overseas, and, and you know, especially the auto industries and, and the steel industries where I'm from, Western PA, it just took a huge dive. And a lot of people went up to Alaska because they were building a pipeline. There was a lot of money to be made. I mean, people were getting rich quick up there, and Ron was one of those guys. And as a Red Wings fan... He brought a bit of tradition with him. When the Aces got going as a professional team in 1995, he started throwing a salmon onto the ice after every goal. <laughs> and, or not, af- not after every goal, after the first goal. Kind of mimicking the octopus. And it, uh, you know, it caught on, and, and uh, that was his thing. So every game I ever broadcast, uh, when the Aces scored, here, here would come a salmon head onto the ice. And he refined his technique over the years, I think, it was a little messy and a bit of a, a pain in the butt, and and I think after a consultation with the league and some officials, he he made sure they were fully frozen and, and kind of went the head route, so he didn't have scales and stuff all over the ice. <laughs> That's great, and he's still doing that, eh? Oh, he's still doing that. I mean, again, so many people read, you know, move to Alaska, you know, at eighteen or nineteen, and thirty years later, they're they're still there. And Ron's one of those guys. I think he's in his his late fifties by now, but, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of stories like that. I mean, my boss, the owner of the team was like that, you know, went up on a whim, uh, from Texas in the late seventies and never came back, you know, and that's, that's one of those, uh, you know, just one of those places where, you know, whether you're, whether you were looking to get away from it all or, or whether, uh, you were looking to score a few bucks at a time where the country was hurting, uh, that's where Alaska built its population. I mean, Anchorage has grown from a city of, maybe 70 or 80,000 in 1980 uh, to now it's, you know, up around 300,000, 320. So wow. it's, it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's really kind of boomed as far as population. Yeah. Well, that's great. Thanks for sharing that, Jack. Uh, Jack Michaels joining us inside sports on 630. Chad, Jack, of course, the play-by-play voice for the Oilers and uh, the news tonight uh, within about the last 45 minutes, Jack Nikita Nikita up from the farm Griba as we expected would happen, has been placed on injured reserve because he's going to been about, miss about a month with, uh, with a knee injury. Uh, I know I've had a couple people uh, text me and I've seen on Twitter, why isn't it uh, Osterley coming up, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I mean, I think they want to keep some of the, those other guys playing on the farm and they're paying Nikitin a lot of money. So you might as well, in my mind, you might as well pay him that money to, to be in the NHL, even if it's on a fill-in basis. Well, and he's, he's playing better, too. I mean, he's he's played some good hockey down in, in Bakersfield, and he's, you know, he and Anders Nielsen have quite honestly, you know, earned their promotions back up there. I mean, I, I felt all along that, that uh, you know, Todd McClellan wanted Laurent Brassois to have 
you know, up to two years of real work down there in the American Hockey League. And, and by real work, I mean playing, you know, I have a 68-game schedule, maybe 55 games, and getting used to that NHL type of workload and, and being the guy, you know, game in, game out. He's still a young goaltender. So, you know, while he's played great as two NHL starts, I, I knew – I knew as soon as Todd said, look, you know, we, we've got two choices. We can either have LB watch Cam play all the games or we can get him back down to Bakersfield where he's where he's stopping 35 shots a game. And just his tone told me that's exactly where he was going with that. And it was good for uh, Brassois to get a spot start, but equally important for Nielsen, who had really struggled and, and it was kind of capped by that nightmarish afternoon he had in Brooklyn uh, to go down and get his game in order, and he did. He, he's put two good games together with Bakersfield and that'll enable him to come up here and, and back up Talbot and, and maybe get a few uh, starts down the stretch. He will, because Reed, the other thing, you know, that move serves as a purpose of, of getting another look at Nielsen and seeing and debating whether or not this is the guy you want to re-sign to be Talbot's backup next year, or whether you got to go and find someone else. I don't think they've made that decision yet. As far as Nikitin is concerned, yes, he's earned his promotion, but it could also theoretically serve another purpose, and I, I, I put a lot of stress on that because I'm not really sure, and, and I don't know whether there's an ulterior motive there, but if Nikitin can string a few decent games together, there is a trading deadline to be looked after uh, in a couple of weeks, and there's bound to be a defenseman or two go down, and you know maybe Nikitin comes into play as, as a team looking to add you know a seventh or eighth defenseman for depth down the stretch. You can never uh, have too many defensemen, and and as you and I have talked about ad nauseum, I mean Chicago kind of survived having five last year and, and won the Stanley Cup, but that's not necessarily a blueprint that I think a lot of teams are comfortable with. And also, the, the teams that are going to be in the playoff race, uh, there's very few of them like Chicago to have the five quality-type defensemen that they had to carry them through their run. So, um, you know, if Nikitin is, is playing well and, and scouts see him and see that he's playing well and can give a guy a start or two either down the stretch or in a playoff game should be there be an injury. He's got enough experience where where maybe he figures into that equation. So get him some minutes, get him playing, and and who knows, maybe something happens. Jack, this is the best interview I've ever done involving hockey, Salmon Heads, and Woody Allen. Thanks so much for being part of it. <laughs> Thanks for always having me on, Reed. I appreciate your chats. Right on. That is Jack Michaels. Check it in tonight, play-by-play voice on the Oilers radio network. So, uh, yeah, you know, good thoughts from Jack there on uh, on Nikitin. He'll get a look. You know, maybe there's some appeal f- from another team. Maybe. Uh, Jack stressed theoretically, but uh, you know if somebody's really desperate for somebody, and and I, and I still think it's very likely Schultz is going to get moved here before the deadline. Lots going on with uh, the Oilers. Unfortunately, not a playoff chase, but the remaking of the team in Shirelli's image does continue. It is 7:21. Of course, Inside Sports presented by AMA. Be listening tomorrow for your Alberta Motor Association's Oilers hockey. AMA safety and savings for your family. We'll update the out-of-town scoreboard. The uh, Canadians trying to get a win on the road tonight. The Flames in action as well. Uh, some talk on the fallout from this Northlands announcement today is ahead. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. You're listening to 630 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins.
for tuning in tonight. Here's what's going on in the NHL. The Canadians lead the Avalanche 2-1. Seven minutes left in the second period. Same portion of the game. Blackhawks lead the Rangers 2-0. Wild and Flames later on. Dennis Weidman has had his 20-game suspension upheld uh, by Gary Bettman for uh, hitting linesman Don Henderson before the All-Star break. They uh, got a text message Weidman sent to a uh, teammate on the day of his hearing. The only reason I'm here is because of the stupid refs and the stupid media. Uh, the Flames will now likely take it to a neutral discipline arbitrator. Kari Rama out for the season with a torn ACL in his left knee. Football news, the Eskimos have signed Neil King, defensive back and special teamer from Hamilton. He's the brother of Eskimos long snapper Ryan King. He will be on the show later on tonight. The Eskimos have also re-signed defensive lineman Donnie Oramision. Donnie O, as we like to call him. I uh, just want to catch up on some of the other Oilers audio from practice today. Here's McClellan, latest thoughts on Yakupov and uh, what he's been saying to him about his play. I'm going to keep that between Yak and myself. I think that's fair right now. Um, he's got a lot of pressure on him internally from us as a, as a coaching staff and teammates. And, um, you know, the media is, is just as uh, as hard or complimentary on him. I mean, there's a lot of um, mixed signals that go out to him. So uh, talented, talented player, a lot of skill, um, looking for results. They sure are. Coming up to the 7.30 news and weather with Randy Kilburn. Coming up after 8 tonight, we're launching a new feature, Live in the Dream. Hockey players with Edmonton area connections playing in leagues other than the NHL. We'll go to Derek Ryan in Charlotte. Alan York, goaltender for the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. What a great name that is. In the next half hour, the fallout, the impact of the Northlands announcement today. Horse racing and minor hockey angles. This is Andrew Ferentz from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. All right, it's 7.33. Andrew Ferentz, of course, out for the season. Eric Greiva out for about a month. He's on injured reserve. The Oilers have called up Nikita Nikitin from the farm team. Anders Nielsen up from the farm. Laurent Brassois sent down. Cassian not at practice today. Still sick. We'll see if he can play tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, a lot still to talk about. Of course, you can keep your texts coming to 630-630. We'll have the uh, newest member of the Edmonton Eskimos, Neil King, on in a bit. We will launch our new series, Living the Dream. We'll uh, visit with some hockey players playing in uh, the minor leagues. We'll do that once a week on Inside Sports. We have two guys on tonight to kick it off, so I'm looking forward to that. Of course, uh, the big announcement by Northlands today. There are uh, no more horse racing at Northlands after this year. Uh, they're going to spend uh, the plan anyway, a proposal for $85 million to turn Rexall Place into the Northlands Ice Coliseum with seven ice surfaces. That's where we're going to start the conversation here this half hour, and we're going to bring in Dean Hengel to Inside Sports. Dean is the Executive Director of Hockey Edmonton. Dean, you're on with Reed Wilkins. How are you doing, sir? Doing real well, Reed. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for making time for us tonight. Uh, obviously, a, a pretty significant news day, and I'll, I'll start very generally. When you when you hear about the possibility of, of seven more ice surfaces 
being added to the city of Edmonton. What's your initial reaction? Well, it's uh, it's a real positive announcement. We've we've got a number of challenges as an organization that re- relies on uh, uh, municipal ice and and with the number of aging facilities that we have in Edmonton, uh, um, 15 or more that are you know 44 years of age or older and could go offline at any given point in time. Uh, the growth of population in, in the city and, and uh, the need for additional new arenas, uh, just the, the expanding interest of, of players in the game, whether it's minor hockey-aged uh, participants or, or adult male and female players that are picking up the game and continuing to pursue the game of hockey in, in their adult lives. So uh, the announcement, uh, if it's... Uh, if it comes to fruition, it'll be a, a welcome addition to the ice inventory in Edmonton. So, Dean, what I'm hearing there is 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 that by the time uh, this could exist in 2020, this might not be adding ice surfaces to Edmonton, but merely replacing ones that are are no longer adequate. I think it's going to be a combination of things, Reed. I think that there that uh, we'll see that some arenas uh, will continue to go down on a regular basis for scheduled maintenance. Uh, there are a few that may uh, end up being uh, decommissioned. Um, there are, um, so there'll be, a, I guess, a, a replacement factor there. And, 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 you know, one or two of the six or seven sheets that are um, part of the vision uh, may actually be added inventory. Oh, so. Okay. Well, that, that's uh, that's that's good to hear, um, wh- Dean. What are what are the advantages to having that many ice surfaces under one roof? Well, it's a it, it provides some really um, interesting program options for an organization like ourselves. Uh, we we currently have in Edmonton a, a major event facility in Tooeliger with uh, four sheets of ice that Hockey Edmonton use. Uh, um, three or four times a year for major special events, our, our minor hockey week, our Timbits Jamboree, um, championships of various natures. And, but so do a whole bunch of the other ice users. And, and that places a, a large stress on our programs in southwest Edmonton who um, have to move their regular practices or games to other, other locations around the city. So adding a second major event would allow us to take some of the... Uh, the stress that's on a facility like Twilliger and, and share it into another venue. If we go to six sheets or seven sheets, it, it provides uh, very interesting hosting magnitudes for, um, you know, any of our events, whether it's our, our Tim Bitch Chamboree or, you know, a quick card in minor hockey week uh, finals, or, or maybe we even concentrate more of our um, round robin play uh, in, uh, minor hockey week in that event, and and make it uh, uh, more of a uh, you know more of a festival, uh, increasing the atmosphere of the event for uh, regular games as opposed to just our our championship uh, weekend. Well, um, oh sorry, lots of real upsides. Well, I, that's a good point, Dean Hangel joining us. He's the executive director of of Hockey Edmonton. So I suppose. Um, I mean, and I'm not suggesting that Edmonton doesn't host major events because you just mentioned a couple. But um, I mean, Calgary's known for the Max Midget Tournament or, or whatever. So this could potentially make it easier. Where if 
Um, you know, Brian Hall wants to have the Brian Hall peewee extravaganza with the 20 best peewee teams from Western Canada, that this would make it that much easier. It certainly does, uh, you know. And uh, if, if we continue to, to build out the ice inventory as, uh, as we'd like it to be, um, the opportunity to host in-season uh, special events like that uh, becomes even more of a possibility. Okay. Well, well that's, that's good to hear. Now, um, I guess now the way I understand this is it's, this is a, a proposal that's got to get some funding. From what you understand, what, what is your level of optimism about this be- becoming a reality? Well, we're, um, I, I guess that'd be really tough to tough for me to, to comment on. My understanding is it's receiving a very favorable response uh, in, the, uh, in the preliminary uh, focus groups that uh, they've met with and in the, uh, in the initial community engagement uh, meetings that uh, I believe started last night. Right. Uh, my understanding is it's trending very favorably uh, in, uh, you know, uh, social media today, and and personally, I, I expect to see that continue. It's a it's a really exciting uh, project. This this would give uh, Edmonton, um, you know, a facility that uh, we're not aware of anybody in in Canada having. Dean, before I let you go, just let me backtrack to one of your earlier points, just to to provide maybe some more details on it. When, when we're talking about the average ice surface in in Edmonton, whether it's Terwilliger or you know on one ice sheet, uh, older arena, are we talking like the ice is booked like six a.m. to to midnight virtually every day? I mean, is that the type of load we're looking at? Uh, cer- certainly, on uh, every every weekend day of the season from September through the end of March, um, we're going hard uh, from. You know, as early as uh, six six forty five, I believe, and and with adult bookings getting off at midnight or shortly thereafter. So, um, you know, a very very heavy weekend load. A weekday is uh, you know a little bit different, obviously, in that uh, you know we've got uh, school kids and and volunteer coaches that uh, that work. So we start picking up uh, ice, I guess, roughly about five o'clock and using it uh, heavily through through 10.30 with our Bantam and Midget programs and, and turning over to adult use programs, uh, you know, somewhere between 10, 10.30 and, and that sort of thing. So um, these venues are, are very heavily booked and, and with uh, um, the emergence of hockey academies uh, um, and uh, um, uh, day leagues for uh, those people that uh, have jobs that allow them to partake in their recreation during during a, a weekday. The ice is heavily booked. Yeah, okay. Dean, well, th- thanks for making time for me. Uh, I know it's, it's been a busy day with this uh, an announcement, so thanks for making time to connect and, and offering some, some insight on how this would affect uh, Hockey Edmonton for sure. Really appreciate your time. I hope we can keep following this story with you. Yeah, well, thanks for the opportunity, Reed, and I know our members are uh, appreciative of, uh, of the opportunity. That- right on. Thank you, Dean. That is Dean Hangel checking in tonight. He is the executive director of Hockey Edmonton. So, you know, that was of interest to me. What did he say? But around 44 ice surfaces in Edmonton that, that are quite old, and 
are perhaps nearing the end of their uh, their lifespan. So seven additional sheets by 2020 in what would be known as the Northlands Ice Coliseum uh, would certainly help. It's good news for hockey, Edmonton, minor hockey, rec hockey, all that kind of stuff. A, a different sort of day for horse racing because this is going to be the last summer Northlands will have horse racing. We'll talk about the future of the site and we'll talk to longtime trainer at Northlands, one of the best out there, Rod Cohn, when we get back inside sports on 630 Chat. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chat. It's with mixed emotions today that we talk about our partnership with horse racing. What we do know in coordination with horse racing, is 2016 will be our last year in the horse racing business. All right, that's Tim Rode, uh, Tim Reed, pardon me, the CEO of Northlands, making that announcement earlier today. So you got that uh, big racetrack area. Well, Tim, what's going to happen to it? So what we're proposing today is the transformation of the grounds and the renovation of current infrastructure to create the Northlands urban festival and event site. This urban park will be purposefully built, designed to receive events with a capacity of 30,000 to an excess of 90,000 people. A site with flexibility to host massive scale concerts and entertainment, midways and special events. A site to host Cavalia and Cirque du Soleil when they come back to our community. A site to host outdoor rodeos, large high volume festivals, all right, so there is the plan. We move into the final season of horse racing at Northlands. You heard Tim Reed call it the Urban Festival and Events Site. Uh, man, that would uh, house a lot of people, thirty to 90,000 for, I guess you could have big concerts. He mentioned things like Cavalia Cirque du Soleil. So, uh, yeah, times are changing there at uh, at Northlands, and they're changing for people like Rod Cohn, who joins us now on Inside Sports. Rod, you're on with Reed Wilkins. Good to talk to you again, sir. Yeah, good to talk to you, Reed. All right, Sad so day for racing. Yeah, well, it, it it certainly is, and I wish we were talking un, under better circumstances. Uh, Rod, let, let's just establish your your background a little bit before we we get into the news uh, of the day, so people know you. Uh, a little bit, and I've interviewed you a couple of times before, but uh, you are a, a, a horse a trainer. How, how long have you been training? I actually, uh, I've been going to Northlands Park since I was four years old. My father took me there in 1950, and I saw my first horse race. And uh, I skipped many days of school to go down there and walk hots and watch the horses train. Uh, I can admit that now because my father's uh, not here to scold me, but uh, I, I've been uh, in racing since 1969. Uh, I started out as a blacksmith on the track, shod for years, and started training in the early 1990s, uh, right up to the present day. And now I keep a stable of between 30 and 40 horses at uh, in Alberta training. Right, and I, I know you're not one to brag, but I, I can tell people you are usually one of the uh, the leading uh, trainers through each season at, at Northlands Park. So you've seen a lot, you've been successful, um, you know, you've been leading the way uh, for a lot of the years at Northlands Park. 
today's news that we're going into the final season at, at 2016, I mean, you just told a, a great story about sneaking in at 1950 and, and skipping school as you got older. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you feel that, that this is happening and, and that's it for racing on that site? Well, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, it's going to affect me and my family, but, you know, it also affects between five and 7,000 other people that make their living off racing in Alberta. Uh, you know, racing's got a 125-year-old history in Edmonton. And they started out racing down in the, the old brickyard in the River Valley in the late 1800s before the track was moved up to the present site at Northlands. And, uh, you know, people don't realize that people like famous Red Pollard, who rode Seabiscuit to... Uh, Glory in the 1930s started his career in Edmonton. Uh, you know, there's there's a great history here, and there's a lot of people that are going to be affected by this. And uh, you know, we we feel bad about it. Northlands has always made money on racing, and and uh, in the last few years, they've made uh, quite a bit of money. They they receive a lot of money from uh, horse racing, about nine million a year, and that's above and beyond their uh, their share of the casino. That's just what they get out of the horse racing. Uh, Alberta. So, uh, you know, I don't think they're losing money on racing. They've admitted that they aren't, but uh, they seem to think that this new, uh, uh, you know, uh, new site will will bring more money or more people into the place. And I I don't know if it will. Uh, First of all, I don't know how they're going to pay for it because I don't think the taxpayers are uh, willing to take another big hit like they have on this arena for a venue of this size. But it's it's sad to see horse racing get pushed out when they've carried Northlands for so many years. Rod, let me let me ask you this. Um, and look, as as a guy who hosts a, a, a sports show, uh, I'll f- be the first to admit horse racing is not a sport we talk about a lot, but we do have a Northlands feature uh, that runs every summer throughout the season. And and as a guy who hosts a sports show, I want all sports to be successful. I guess the reality is for me, Rod, I don't know if, if horse racing is um, as visible in, in the public eye as it once was. But, you know, maybe I'll just use the word popular as opposed to, you know, your stories from, from a child. In, yeah. it, it, I mean, I, I think I'm right there. So in your mind from being in the sport, what happened to it that it didn't maybe maintain the stature that it once had? Well, you know, horse racing started getting hurt when the, when the uh, lotteries first came into play in Alberta. Uh, at one time, we had the only game in town as far as gambling was concerned. And when the lotteries came into town, uh, you know, they it, it definitely took a slice out of racing. And then, the uh, of course, the influx of casinos. And we seem to be just surrounded by casinos at Northlands. There's uh, four of them within a stone's throw of, of Northlands Park. And... And that uh, makes it much easier for people who want to gamble. They don't have to get involved. They can just sit and push a button in the casino and bet their money. And that's really cut into, uh, uh, you know, to to racing, into live racing. Um, racing is still popular in many areas and still thriving in many areas like Southern California, Florida, New York, uh, and in Toronto. And uh uh, I think that racing would do uh, a lot better in Alberta, but uh, the money that is poured into it doesn't seem to go back into the promotion of racing. It seems to find its way into some of the other venues that uh, Northlands Park loses money on. So uh, I think they could do a better job to promote racing or could have done, and they didn't really do it. But uh, I'm not blaming anybody else. There's no doubt that people have found other places to uh, to 
spend their money. So, uh, right. Rod what, Co- what can I say? Rod Cohen joining us on uh, Inside Sports, longtime trainer at uh, Northlands Park. You heard him tell the story. He started as a blacksmith in 1969, so an incredible connection to uh, to Northlands Park. So I, I guess the question is, Rod, what happens next? Because uh, I hear and read things about a new track uh, popping up likely very close to 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 Edmonton. Um, is a new site realistic and viable in your mind? Well, well, it is, um, as long as they get a racino with it. I mean, under the present uh, contract with Northlands, they have a racino, which is a, a slot casino within the, the facility for racing, the same as they have in Calgary at the new track there. And, uh, and that's become a very popular thing with, with racetracks across North America. The, the, the income from the Racino, uh, you know, helps to support the, the racing and if it, if another track could be built with a racino in it, uh, I, I think it's a viable thing. There's definitely interest in it, and I don't think people would be interested in doing it if they didn't feel that there was going to be a profit in it. So I think it's definitely uh, something that we have to consider and and something that I'm sure will work if it's done. And, but it has to be in or near Edmonton city limits, does it not, to draw the population? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. You definitely have to be, you know... With, uh, very close to the city. I mean, people aren't going to drive too far away. That's the nice right. part about Northlands. It's right in the middle of town. So, But there are some sites available, and I'm sure we'll be looking into that with uh, Horse Racing Alberta. Okay. Well, uh, that is good to hear, at least, I guess, for people who want to keep keep going and and, uh, and keep the sport going. I mean, what do you... Uh, before I wrap up, Rob, just, I guess, going into the final season at that site... How, how do you did you have to approach it any different as as a trainer? Are you going to stick with it beyond the the closure of Northlands Park? Have you made those decisions yet? Well, we're go- we're going to carry on this year. There's still uh, still a possibility that there may be racing in Calgary in the fall uh, if they finish that facility. It's not finished to, to accept thoroughbred racing there yet, uh, but if they do plan to get it finished, we could be continuing to race there a little bit next fall, and then we'll have to worry about next year when that comes. Stables such as myself, you know, I'm, uh, I have a stable of horses in California right now for the winter, and some of the other trainers are in Phoenix, Arizona for the winter, so, uh, you know, we we do have a, an alternative uh, way to continue on racing, but we'd all like to race at home, and that's where we were born and raised, and of course, we'd like to race right at Northlands if possible, so... We're not going to give up on that yet. They haven't got this thing uh, built yet, so it could happen. Yeah. Well, Rod, thanks for, for sharing some of your memories and, and uh, giving us some insight on, on the impact that it's going to have on you and uh, all the other people involved uh, in horse racing at Northlands Park. Great to have you on the show. I, I hope next time we do it, uh, it's a story that uh, maybe has, has you a little more upbeat. Really appreciate your time. Okay. Thanks very much, Reed. That is Rod Cohn checking in tonight. Uh, yeah, so interesting stuff. Uh, Northlands Park uh, final season for racing 2016, and then it would be this huge festival site. And, and you heard Rod talk about the history of racing in this city. It's it's tough to lose that. Definitely tough to lose that. And Rod certainly talked about how it's going to affect him personally. You can send me your thoughts to 630-630. Text to 630-630. Phone number 780-496-0063. Brand new feature, Living the Dream, when we get back.